0: name is wonderful want to start off talking about the dispensational view of the Bible. Now, for those who do not know what it means, I'm going to explain it to you. I've got a few charts that I've built for you that I want you to have a look at. But if you think about a dispensation, it is a period of time where a significant thing happened. Now, history happens in a linear. A linear timeline means that there's a beginning and there is an end. And if you take uh, periods out of that those years you know from the beginning to the end there is significant things that happen along the way uh, we can think about the development of the car when was the first car made in what in in what dispensation or what a uh, decade was the car made and the airplane and you know even the telephone and all of these things going into the 90s the um, explosion of of computers and electronics into the 20th century and now we're sitting in 2010 and 2020 2020 and then soon it's going to be 2030 now the point that i want to make is that everything is in a linear cycle it is in a linear timeline uh, and we can go back through our history books and study and read about all of these fantastic things that happened in that decade, in that dispensation, if you want to call it that. It is a, a period of time that things happened. We also have it in our own lives. Everything that God made is tied down to these, these years, these days, this this um hours this minutes everything if you think about a human's timeline you were born each one of you and i have got a date of birth and you were a baby and people had to look after you and after that you became a toddler you started learning to walk and then you were 10 years old and you grow into your teens uh between 10 and 20 you become a young adult and along the way, as you become a young adult and then between your 20s and 30s, uh, you're you married, you got children, or maybe a little bit later, into your 40s, into your 50s, uh, and then into your 60s and 70s. And each one of these decades that you lived represents something special in your life. Development, independence, and all of these things. All of that is in a linear timeline. In other words, it starts, you can count days, hours, times, minutes, everything to that until you come to the point where you pass away. You've got a beginning and an end. And let me just say the wonderful fact about all of this is that God is represented in all of that time. And because this is going to blow your mind if you think about this, God is outside of time. You and I live in time. He is outside of time. Why did I start like that? Well, I want to introduce to you, if you haven't seen this before or known about this before, that the Bible, the Word of God, is also a dispensational timeline. The whole of the history of the earth that God created... He created in a timeline. There is generally seven dispensations that that encapsulate the whole history of the Word of God, of the Bible, of our history. Now, if you look at my timeline here, and it's again a linear timeline. One thing happened after the other. And in this particular case, I want to say that the things that happened in the one dispensation was carried over into the next dispensation that they received there. And now something new is happening. We start off with a dispensation of innocence. This is when Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden. He didn't know between right or wrong. And uh, Eve was made for him, a good helper for him. And they were living in a dispensation of innocence. And you can open up in your Bible and you can read all about the dispensation of innocence. Then what happened? We know that sin entered into the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve sinned. And at that point in time, they were, they were chased out of the Garden of Eden. And the Lord put a big seraphim angel there with a flaming sword to to hinder them for going back into the Garden of Eden. A lot of people ask me, where is the Garden of Eden today? Is it still on the earth? And the answer to that is no, because there was a flood that happened. But nevertheless, if we go back to our timeline, we see that that ended the the dispensation of innocence. Man now had a conscience. Man now knew what he was doing wrong. And this introduced the age or the dispensation of conscience. And that led up right up to the flood. And we find in the time of conscience that a man by the name of Noah, he preached as a righteous preacher to the masses of people. But they would not listen. Their conscience was sheared. Their conscience were hardened. And then uh, the flood happened. God looked upon it and the flood came in and everything was destroyed that was in that, in that dispensation of, of conscience. And after the flood happened and Adam came or Noah came out of the ark, then it started a new dispensation. And this is called the dispensation of human government. And we can go right through the scriptures. Again, we read about that. We read how the people wanted to have a a human king, a human government, a human ruler. The one dispensation flows over with the experience into the another dispensation. Now we have innocence, we had conscience dispensations into a human government dispensation. And this came to a head, this came to an end when they built the Tower of Babel. You remember the account around that where man said, let us do all of these things. Let us reach into heaven uh, so that we can be God. Now, underlining in all of this, you should not forget this, underlining in all of this is that thin line of Lucifer, of Satan, who's playing in the background trying to bring down God himself because he wanted to set himself up as God. So we see that the dispensation of human government came to an end when God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel. That introduced a new dispensation, and that is called the dispensation of promise. And this is where we found the man Abraham and God made him those beautiful and wonderful promises. You remember some of them where God said to him that his descendants will be like the sand of the sea, like the stars in heaven. And those promises were made to Abraham. He went into captivity, well, uh, willfully into captivity through droughts. And his nation then uh, was sitting under Pharaoh in Egypt. And this was in a time of promise. God promised a better life. God promised a city to Abraham. It is the dispensation of promise. And not only was it to to Abraham, but it flowed over to Moses. When... Uh, when the nation was 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 um, persecuted by the Pharaohs, that God gave them the promise of a better land. God said, "I will take you to Canaan land, which is a better land." The promise, uh, the dispensation of promise, they lived through that whole time, through those years, with a promise they were looking forward to. This is the dispensation of. Promise and, and whilst they went into this disp- dispensation of promise, they carried with them the dispensation and the learnings from the dispensation of human government. And we see the depravity that happened there. And we also know that this dispensation came to an end uh, right on the border of the promised land. Of the promised land. You remember when they sent the spies into the promised land and they came back with those big, big uh, uh, grapes and and they said that the land is truly what God said it was going to be. So remember, God's promises is always yes and amen in Him. Always yes and amen. God's promise, there was nothing wrong with God's promise. It was with the, the mankind, you know, who didn't hold on to the promises. They didn't, because God said, I'm giving you this land. And two of the spies says, let's go and take it. Doesn't matter whether the people in there look like giants. Let's go and take it. Uh, but the promise is there. And we see that that dispensation of promise came to an end when they decided not to enter into the land. The, the land of promise and uh, and that is where that dispensation came to an end and they turned around there and for 40 years they were doubling and walking around in the wilderness well the the end of the dispensation of promise led into the dispensation of law of law you remember the law was given to them in the wilderness You remember when Moses went up onto the mountain and received the tablets, the Ten Commandments. Those are not the only laws. There were many other laws. If you read through Numbers, Deuteronomy and all of those books there. But these were the things which they learned. They were placed under in the the state, in the wilderness. When they did not enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land, they they were under the law. Now the law is a really interesting subject and a topic to discuss and, uh, and I endeavor to preach a little bit more about it in the future because uh, the law was never intended for man to have a way to God, never. Never the law's never been placed there to say that if you keep the law, that you will be saved. No, no. The law, the Bible says is a tutor. Is a tutor. A tutor is like a teacher. And and, and what is the law teaching these people? It teaches them that whatever we do in all of our efforts and all of our good doing, that we will always fall short of the glory of God. It it was designed to bring a hunger in mankind to reach out to the Savior, to the one and the only one who could fulfill the law and give us the peace that is only uh, Him that can give us that that peace. So this brought in the dispensation of law. And we start to find uh, our recent history uh, is really based into this dispensation. You see... If I backtrack a little bit between Noah and the human government, we had what we had, the Noah law or the Noah law. We had the Adamic covenant uh, with the Adam covenant in, in the beginning, uh, but now we have the Mosaic law. And this is where the Pharisees of Jesus' day and Paul's day, this is what they embedded in, into this dispensation of law. And, And remember what I said, every single dispensation brings with himself into the new dispensation, the relics. Yeah, that's a great word. The relics of the previous dispensation. And it becomes so more clearer And evident as we move in from the dispensation of law into the dispensation of grace. Uh, Because you will find, my dear friend, that it brings the dispensation of grace, uh, you, you know, was brought into with the relics, with the old things of the previous dispensation, the law. Now, we see the dispensation of the law has got all the prophets in there, all the accounts that happened uh, with the nation and the prophets who spoke about that. And that dispensation came to an end at the cross of Christ, at the crucifixion. It's at that point there that Jesus Christ, and listen to me very carefully, fulfilled all the law. Not just part of it. There is groups out there that He only fulfilled the sacrificial law. No, not so. He fulfilled all the law. Every single thing. He fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Because we can't love God with all your heart and your mind without the Holy Spirit of God and without being born again into the body. You cannot do that. The proof of that is in the Old Testament. The proof of that is in all of those previous dispensations. We cannot uphold even the Ten Commandments without the Holy Spirit. And we are not meant to, try to, uphold every single one of those laws and be under the law in your own strength and power. No, no. We resign to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, with the helper of the Holy Spirit in us. He fulfilled the law. And then with the Holy Spirit, we have got a new law in Christ. So the, the dispensation of law ended at the cross and then started... The dispensation of grace the dispensation of grace is also known as the church age and and, and you say preacher why did you start talking about the rapture coming through dispensations this is important because we're going to find that we are now living in a dispensation of grace the dispensation of the church age what is in, in in this dispensation in this dispensation we have salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Through this we have the Holy Spirit who sealed us and the Holy Spirit who is our helper. We have the gospel through this. We have the Holy Spirit through this and that helps us to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to live by the gospel and to strengthen us. This is the dispensation of grace. Ephesians. So this dispensation of grace will continue because we are still in it and as i'm going to talk about the timing of the rapture this become evident when we go to revelation so now we talk about when it comes to an end this dispensation on, of grace on the earth will come to an end with the rapture the rapture of the church Because the Bible says that the Restrainer will be removed from the earth. What is the Restrainer? The Restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And on whom is the Holy Spirit being poured out? The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. So if the church is removed, the Holy Spirit is removed, this stops the dispensation of grace. Now, some people do ask me, will people be safe after? the rapture and the answer is yes they will be saved after the rapture so the rapture takes place and then what starts then the new dispensation starts but there is a pause there is the only pause in the dispensations for a special event what is this pause it is the seven year tribulation it is a punishment upon the nation of Israel for, for the Jubilee years which they did not listen and obey to God. There is a penalty and a punishment for that. I will talk about that much later in another sermon. But there is there is the pause of a correction, there is the pause of an event that's going to happen for seven years. And after the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of the Lord, the new dispensation will start then, which is the dispensation of the millennial kingdom of Christ. When he will come back and reign literally, not figuratively, but in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, with a rod and an iron, and all the nations will come and they will bow down to him. So there is the dispensations of the Bible. Uh, seven of them: innocence, conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, and the millennial kingdom. Now you say, whoa, that's a lot said. Uh, And I want to implore you to, uh, if I talk too fast, it's because I'm really excited and passionate about this. But you can always pause, rewind, listen again, take notes and go and study it for yourself. Now, there is a lot of people who do not believe in the dispensational view of the Bible, and God bless their hearts. I have found all of my life, all of my Christian life, reading the Bible, studying the Bible in a dispensational view, that the Lord has opened up all of the the, the evidences out of that in in, uh, confirming His dispensational linear timeline view of things to happen. And by the way, if you believe in prophecy, you can only but believe in the linear timeline of God through the Bible, equal dispensationalism. Now, let's look at the next timeline I have here, because this is going to come closer to our topic today. Now, when we look at this timeline, we see on the left-hand side that law stopped at the cross and then started the dispensation of grace, which is the church age. The rapture will take place... Now, the next thing that I want to explain to you is there is three popular views about the rapture. Well, first of all, there are those people who do not believe in the rapture. And I will refer you back to the sermon I've preached the last three weeks. Uh, Go and listen to them. And if you still do not believe in the rapture, God bless your heart. Now, there's also those people who say that the rapture is not an old teaching of the first church. They say that it was only made popular in the 1800s. Uh, and that the first uh, century church did not preach the rapture. Well, that is also not correct. Uh, frankly, Paul preached the rapture. Um, Peter preached about the rapture. Uh, the first century church fathers preached about the rapture. Uh, you know, I've got books and everything. I can put it on the other links and everything that you can go and read what uh, Irania said, one of the first century Uh, fathers, you know, who studied the Bible. He believed that the church was going to be removed before the tribulation. Justice the martyr, he believed that the church was going to be removed before the tribulation. And you can go through, right through all the first century church fathers. It is from 300 AD onwards that a, a, a misconception was placed within the church. And the words were were taken away and the message was changed of the rapture. And by the way, I'm I'm a big believer that uh, the part of the apostasy which is going to come upon us is because of the bending of the scriptures, of of, of walking away of the doctrine of the apostles, which they received from the Lord. And I will show you today that this is not something which they just dreamt up, but it is evident in the Old Testament. So there's three views of the rapture. First view is a pre-trip rapture, a pre-tribulation rapture. And that's the first one you find on the timeline there. And what it says is straightforward. It says that the Lord will come. He will rapture or harapatsu the church out of the world before the seven-year tribulation, which Revelation chapter 4 onwards talk about when that is going to happen. Before the trouble comes, the church has been removed from the earth. Uh, this preacher believe in the pre-trip rapture. Uh, I believe by some people in a mid-trip rapture. You see, they say that these three three and a half years and three and a half years is broken up in the middle, right in the middle, and in the middle is where Christ is going to come back after, after the seven seal judgment already been opened. The seven seals incorporate the four horses of the apocalypse. They incorporate uh, workings of the Antichrist. In that three and a half years, let it be known, you, you heard here today, that there is millions of people who will die on this earth they will die of pestilences they will die of wars they will die of uh, natural events but there's a lot of people who's going to die on the earth after the rapture before the seven seals are been starting open up there is a group of people who's already saying that we are already into the seven year tribulation i just want to say god bless your heart because if you say that what's happening on the world is the tribulation you need to go and study the bible again and read the four horses of the apocalypse again and realize that the amount of people dying with covid with uh, let's combine them all let's combine cancer let's combine flu let's combine covid let's combine you know with uh, you know every single thing that you can think about today the amount of people which dies today upon the planet of earth is not even a touch of the amount of people that's going to die once these horses of the apocalypse start riding those horses and in wars and in pestilence. The COVID is nothing. COVID is a smoke screen. Let me? Now I know you're going to turn off the computer and run away and say I'm a, a conspiracy theorist. Do whatever you want to do. But listen to my words before you turn it off. COVID is a dress rehearsal for the bigger problem that's going to come upon this earth, and that is with the climate change and the climate things that's going on right now. You think lockdowns is back uh, with with this uh, virus thing? Lockdowns is going to become worse once the the world elite is going to push through this new uh, uh, um, climate changes. But I don't want to be sidetracked. You can read up all all that yourself. But the mid-tribulation people say that we're going to go through three and a half years of hardship, and then God will come and remove the church from the earth. They say that a lot of these these sealed judgments is man-made. No, I don't believe in this man-made things and God-made things. You know, I believe the tribulation starts, the day of the Lord starts when the church has been taken out, and then we will see what's going to happen on this face of the earth. You do not, by the way, want to be on the earth during that time. So that's the mid-tribulation rapture. But then you have a group of people who talk about the post-tribulation rapture. They say, oh, yes, we believe in the rapture, but it's going to happen after the seven years, the seven years. And somehow when Christ come back in Revelation chapter 19, the rapture also takes place with all of the dead saints first. Renew a with their bodies. Then the church is pulled out. Then somehow in the air we make a backflip as warriors in the army of God in white robes and we come back with him and he's going to have his army fight the battle of Armageddon. That to me is absurd. I It's absurd. Uh, I find no biblical proof for that but uh, if you want to believe that, uh, God bless your heart. Um, The post-trip, uh, they say it happen, happens after the the trumpet judgments and after the bowl judgments. Now, let me just say, some of those judgments means that water will turn into blood. And if we as a church are here, it doesn't matter where you are, at some stage, you just to quench your thirst, you will have to drink a little bit of blood. The church of God was never made to drink blood. Never. We see that in, in uh, you know, Egypt when, when the 10 plagues happened there. God protected His people against the plagues. And, and please don't come and tell me that God will have all these Christians in one little corner in the globe and they will drink fresh water and live in a utopia whilst the rest of the world going to burn. You know, warmwood wood is coming, that, that, that that's, um, a meteor is going to hit the earth and the water is going to turn into warm wood and, you know, half of the plantation is going to be dead and, you know, the ships, half of the ships is going to be destroyed. But hey, here in Ethiopia, little island, the Christians, God protected them like in the ark right there. You understand the ark wrong if you think that's what God's going to do. God lifted Noah out of the problems. The ark went up out of the problems. But let's just continue. So the post-tribulation people say that he will come at his second coming. And then we will have and set in place the kingdom of God. Now, I, let, let, let's focus our eyes now on Paul, what Paul is going to say. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he, we who are alive remains remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always with the Lord. Now, when I read those words to you, it's the words of Paul. And you've got to ask yourself the question: what where did Paul get this? Where, where did Paul get this? Where what happened to Paul, or who gave Paul information to be able to come and preach this? And it wasn't in the only place. He, he spoke about it to Thessalonica, Thessalonica. He spoke about it to Corinth. He spoke about it to the church in Galatia. He spoke about it. He preached in the first century the rapture. Let's just, and if you have got problems with the word rapture, let's say the arpacho or the snatching away or the caught up. What in the world will make Paul say these words? And now we need to focus a little bit on Paul. Let's look at him. Let's focus on him. Before his conversion, Paul was part of an effort to bring in a renewed nation. Just bear with me. He was part of that movement. He was a Pharisee. And he saw his task as a Pharisee before his conversion to bring in a renewed nation, a new nation, and to present this new nation to God as a purified people. And this is what he said it himself. In Galatians chapter 114, he says that he was going after the the tradition of the fathers. And remember when I spoke about dispensationalism, what was before the dispensation of grace, which Paul lived in? It was the dispensation of law. And he brought in that relics of the law into the new dispensation. He calls it the traditions of the fathers. And what was those traditions of the Pharisees? They wanted to renew the nation. Why did they want to renew the nation? Because the nation was under captivity of the Romans. And they believed, Paul believed that if they can renew the nation, purify the nation, that that the Messiah would come, that Jesus Christ will come. They were reading, listen to me. They were reading the prophecies, the prophets, but they didn't understand them. They didn't know what they we were reading. They were they were confused. And this is why they were hanging on those traditions and he was he was part of that effort. He was looking forward for the salvation of the Messiah. But let me say now to you and to you brother and sister that salvation had a different meaning to Paul than the salvation we have today has got for us. He had a different view of salvation and Today, even today in the church, there are many preachers who preach a different salvation than what the Bible teaches. And Paul is a classic example of that. You see, to Saul, salvation had a national and international and a cosmic dimension. I'll say it again. For him, salvation meant it, it had a national dimension and it had an international dimension and also a cosmic dimension. You say, please explain, preacher, and I will. Thank you for asking. You see, the national Uh, dimension for him was that if they bring this renewed people to God, if they renew the people uh, through the law, through the scriptures, through holding all of those pharisaical, there's a new word for you, pharisaical, I'll use that, pharisaical laws that the people will be so new, they will be pure and that God will then send His Spirit into the nation. Now listen, You remember when the Spirit of God left the nation? You remember when what happened? It was called Ichabod, dead, without a spirit. And these Pharisees were holding on. They were reading the prophecies. And they said, if we can only get the people to obey the laws, really stringent laws, then it's going to be a renewed nation. Nationality is going to come back and God's going to send back His Spirit into the nation, the national nation of Israel. That's what he believed. Salvation meant to him that. Secondly, it had an international dimension. What does that mean? Because currently they were under the under the yoke of the Romans. They were captured. They had to abide by Roman laws and rules and everything. But they believed if this salvation comes into the nation and, and they renewed and the Spirit of God is there, that they will be replaced as the proper judger yeah, I find a lot of new words. They will be replaced in that proper place for all of the nations of teaching the nations, judging them, and shepherd them according to God's plan. They read in the Old Testament how God chose that nation. Now they know that they're the chosen nation, but they now believe if salvation comes by renewing this nation by their laws and by the traditions of the fathers, God will restore them internationally and remove the yoke and the burden of this this overseers over them. And then what about the cosmic dimension? You know, salvation for Paul meant that in a cosmic dimension, the Satan and the powers, he writes a lot about the powers, you know, the, the powers uh, of Satan and all of those things, sin, death, and all of these authorities, what was over them and oppressed them, that if that happened, uh, it, you know, finally, when the Spirit of God is restored in the nation, that he, that will destroy death and all of these things. That is what salvation meant to Paul. He was a Pharisee, and he was a zealous Pharisee. I mean, we find him in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, that he himself says this. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel is one of the top professors of the, the Pharisees. He was sitting as a Duke's student, that means the top student at Gamaliel's feet, taught according to the strictness of the father's laws. There is again the traditions of the fathers. And, and this is what I say. And he, he says, I was zealous towards God as you are all today. He said, he said to those people, I was sitting at the feet of Gamaliel according, and I was taught according to the strictness of the Father's law. Remember, I said to you, the previous dispensation is bringing relics into the new dispensation. The law relics was brought in by Paul into the new dispensation of grace. This is what Paul was. We see it in Acts chapter 9 verse 1. You remember when he was, let, let, let the scripture talk for itself. He says, then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of God, of the Lord. Who? The same Paul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. We went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were off the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The word there, the way, means the way of Christ, <laughs> following Christ. They were called the people of the way. In a way, you and I are people of the way. Paul said he wants letters to bring them, to put them in shackles. Men and women, doesn't matter. Bring them back to Jerusalem to be persecuted. And then what happened? Something wonderful in uh, verse three. And as they journeyed near Damascus and suddenly a light shone from from heaven, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembled and and astonished. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. He was struck with blindness. God spoke to a man by the name of Ananias, and he said, Go to him, tell him what to do. Ananias is afraid, but eventually he goes, and Paul, he, he received his sight back. Then after his conversion, he went into the desert of Arabia. Remember, I ask you the question, where did Paul get his teaching from? Because he said in 1 Thessalonians that the Lord will come and he will receive us unto himself. Where did he get this from? So he went into the wilderness of Arabia and it is said that he spent three years there. Uh, in Galatians chapter 1 verse 17 he says it himself, he says nor did I go up to Jerusalem this is after his conversion, to those who were the apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus so we, at this point in time we can, we can fairly say it wasn't that the apostles who gave him the information about the rapture of the church because he didn't go to them for training he didn't write into the school of Peter or James or John he went in opposite direction. He went to the wilderness, to the desert of Arabia. There's nothing there, and he spent what they say three years there. And that's where we believe that the Lord Himself ministered to Paul uh, the things of the Scriptures. He opened up the Scriptures to Paul. You see, the thing about Paul, which you need to understand and know here, is that he knew the Scriptures. This is a big, important part for you to to, to to hear now. Paul knew the Scriptures. What was the Scriptures? It's the Old Testament, the Prophets, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He knew those. He was a Pharisee. He studied them. He read them every day. He learned them off by heart. He had to recite some of the Prophets to the, the Pharisee teachers. He had to recite that to them. So he knew the Scriptures in and out. You sit down with Paul and you talk about the Scriptures, and he will will put you to shame. That's how well he knew the Scriptures, before his conversion, remember. He studied them day and night, as I say. But listen to me clearly now. But he did not know the way. He did not know the way. I'm going to repeat myself, because there's a lot of people who fall into this trap. He knew the scriptures. He studied them. He could say them like a parrot, but he did not know the way. He went to the high priest and said, give me letters to catch the peoples of the way. Then he met the way maker. Hallelujah. He met Jesus Christ himself. He says, I am the truth, the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when Paul met the way maker, he had to learn about the way. The advantage he had, he had this, this, this wealth of knowledge that he studied the scriptures. Now see how his mindset changed. Acts chapter 23, verse 6. I want you to see this. He didn't know the way he knew the scriptures. Uh, 23, verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees. You see, they caught Paul, they brought him in front of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is made out of Pharisees, uh, Sadducees and Herodians. He's now in front of them. They want to, to beat him. They actually want to kill him. And he speak up now as a Pharisee. Listen to this. This is fascinating. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part Phad- Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee see, the son of a Pharisee concerning the hope, listen now, the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees had said there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess it both. I love this. They confess it both. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the Scriptures. His view of the resurrection was different from from the view of the Pharisees when he spoke these words. But he didn't didn't mind him because he knew he can tap into them just believing in the resurrection. So he says it right here. He says says that um, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. uh, So his view was different. You see, it was not one of the doctrinal beliefs, the resurrection, the Pharisees. It was a political, a religious and a cosmic hope they've had. They didn't preach it as a doctrine as Paul did. And this is the difference here. You see, the Pharisees longed for God of Israel to fulfill the promises that he was going to relieve them under that dictatorship and and to free them from the oppression. And that's what they, they saw they saw the defeat of Israel's enemies. But that's not what Paul was talking about, although he called upon the resurrection. You see, I'm actually going to end with the sermon today, and next week I will go into the part two of the timing, because I want to use this knowledge now of Paul to show you where he found the information about the rapture and when the rapture is going to happen. The foundation of your faith needs to be healthy and based on truth. Just take that away today. The foundation of your faith needs to be healthy and based on truth. Unfortunately, I see that so many times these days. People believe in solid truths. When they quote the truths, when they talk about the truths, you can see it is solid, but for the wrong reasons. You can go and look at any false teaching out there. A lot of the false... This is why so many people over the years come to me and say, but that person says so many things which is true. And I just ask them, what is the reasons they said that? Is it to make money out of ministry? Then you can preach, you can preach a lot of truth, but your reason why you're using it is for gain. You need to understand what I'm saying here. Paul's reasons were were good and it was truth. Uh, Many times, some people will bring out the truths to punish other people. And that again is the wrong reason for bringing out the truths. This is where we need the wisdom and the guidance of God in all we do. I want to stop here, but I want you to go and do some homework. I want you to go and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4.13 and ask yourself and go and search where did Paul get these words that he preached there? I believe he received them from Christ in Arabia, in the wilderness, but that it's also in the Old Testament. And next week, all I'm going to do next week is going to bring those two scripture verses, put them next to each other, and you will see how the dispensational view will show you what I believe in and that is the pre-trip rapture. May the Lord bless you, may He keep you and thank you for listening. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Word and thank you Father for teaching us today about the truths of your Word. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us and help us and guide us Lord to know more, to go deeper into your Word and to know more about you in Jesus' name. Amen.